Okay, so welcome to uh, In the Pub, after the pub with Mike Bradbury, because we're recording this uh, the day after uh, the, me- the lovely meal we had at the Film and Kino Conference in Trondheim, uh, which is where we are today. It's absolutely beautiful outside. Mm. Um, and let's introduce everyone. We have the, the regulars of Kevin. Hi. And Tony. Hello. And we have two guests this time. Um, we're honoured. Um, we have Martin Berg. Martin Berg. Rolf Jestland. And um, what do you do, Rolf? I'm retired. Well, I've been in the industry for a while. I've, I've designed cinemas. I've been consulting for technology and, and uh, design of cinemas for almost 40 years. Well, we know that. And the reason we know that is because you've been on before. You were our very first guest on our very first podcast. Yeah. So in, back in Barcelona. Yeah, I remember in, that. What, the world's yeah. noisiest street in Barcelona. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've got the same mic, though. Yeah, we have. <laughs> Things have really not improved, have they? Yeah. Excellent. Um, so um, what is it that you do as well? So I run DX. Uh, we're a uh, ticketing technology company. You run the what, sorry? DX. DX. Yeah. I thought you said the Axe. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not the Axe. That's not where no, I was told. Yeah. Uh, we actually have a much more complicated name uh, in Norwegian, and we just shortened it to a D and an, a, and an X. Luckily for us. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So we <laughs> yeah. used to yeah, English types. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, we, uh, we build um, ticketing uh, technology solutions for, for cinemas and entertainment venues, mm-hmm. so point-of-sale systems and... Uh, the other things around that with regards to planning, reporting, and insights. Superb, superb. Um, so we've got some topics uh, we're going to throw around. One of the things that we've been talking about is... forgotten. Uh, KDMs? No. Oh! Yes. I want yes, to give KDMs. KDMs a good run for their money. <clears throat> okay, we'll go I with KDMs. Them. Someone needs to defend them, because I'm not. I think they're the devil's work. I'll defend them. Go on then. There's, there's a... <laughs> I believe you said there was a cold place in hell for the person who invented KDM. Yeah, that's one of the nice things I said about them. Only, I mean, look, if they work, it's fine, you know? Yeah. If we get them and they work, but they often... Uh... Do you get them and they don't work or do you just no, not get them? No, if we get them, they work. It's when you don't get them. And they go, oh, sorry, yeah, I'm meant to put that through. I'll do that now. And I've got an audience in there waiting for the film <clears> to start or whatever. Not that that happens often because... I've, you know, obviously over the years we've learned to make sure that the TMS reports that there's an unlocked KDM valid for that performance. But there are times when we had one last Saturday where we were showing a, we were doing a performance manually. I didn't have it on the timeline because it was a special performance with an introduction by a filmmaker and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I just dropped it into the you know projector and play and no you have no valid kdm oh thank you i've got an audience full of people and no kdm and that sort of thing shouldn't happen really it just makes other there's enough points of failure in any system you don't we don't need that one as well i don't know what the alternative is has anybody got an alternative because i haven't but you know no not having them there you go that's the alternative I don't think that's a viable option, is it? Is it not? No. <laughs> is no. it not? Well, I, I think that that would make uh, filmmakers, production companies and distributors very nervous for numerous amounts of reasons. Uh, one being, especially when it's pre-release, um, having no KDM means that anyone could play it at any time and then that affects press, marketing. You know, 
a, a release is very strategically done. So there will be a press junket at a certain date and time um, to get word of mouth going so that that gets everyone excited for the release. If you had a film that had no KDM, there's going to be someone that plays it without permission. And that could, you know, if but enough people did, did it, that could really upset the well, release in any territory. Yeah, but did that, was that not a possibility for about 100 years before we had digital cinema? So I think, I think that um, the fact that we are now online, we're able to see what America's doing right now. Uh, uh, you know, it's word of mouth. It's, it's changed now. You know, if someone had a 35 mil screening 20 years ago, you're not going to find out via Instagram. No, this because, is also or true. Or Twitter, yeah. because that didn't exist. No, the world, that's a good point. The world has changed. And unfortunately, mm. KDMs in that respect are required because we are a global community now. We're not isolated in our own release territories but so, are all the films you're showing are they encrypted so you need the KDM yeah. in Norway it's, it's quite common not to have really uh, yeah for, for non-commercial movies you know oh. yeah, they should be happy if anyone wants to watch it anyway you know? yeah we have um, and then that, actually that's a good point Rob because everything has a KDM generally apart the only non-encrypted stuff is usually National Theatre Live or you mm. know something like that which isn't a feature film mm. Um, and actually, yeah, we're showing Corpse Bride, which is a thousand years old. Does it really need a KDM? Could we not maybe find a way of... So that means it's not about piracy, is it? It's about something else at that point. I suppose it's about revenue yeah. and uh, yeah. the local distributor making sure mm. that they get their percentage. Yeah. I mean, the way round... I mean, the dark thing about that is Corpse Bride, the way, the way round not having the KDM if I was in a hurry, it would be to get the Blu-ray out yeah. and bang it on, which, you know... Which you absolutely could do. You yeah. absolutely could do, yeah. So mm. so maybe we need to rethink the old, you know, the catalogue stuff. But then that's, again, that's not about security. That's about um, making sure you don't play it without telling anybody. I mean, the, the sound of feel, uh, sounding defeatist. Yeah. You know, I don't think we are ever going to get rid of KDN. No, we're but, not, of course. But I do, I do think, you know, we, is there not a... Can we not just focus on the the high profile titles, the yeah. the advanced previews, you know, the, the mm. premieres, the mm. yeah. marketing screenings? The but I think that's very subjective because every filmmaker is going to think that their film is worth protecting. Yeah, but even you know the film print management protocol years ago used to have two separate security arrangements depending on the title. You know, you'd get a film like Star Wars or King Kong or War of the Worlds that would have films delivered in you know odd and even reels mm -hmm. and things oh. like that remember those days oh yeah um, I forgot all with silly titles yeah, yeah. yeah. we still use silly titles <laughs> yeah. do you yeah we still have oh, silly what's titles. this film Big Monkey what's that <laughs> I'm not showing Big Monkey hello is that the distributor why have you sent me Big Monkey I don't know what Big Monkey oh but actually, I see with, with that with that you have just highlighted the issue with yeah. KDMs communication yeah well that's it's a lack true. of communication yeah. So you were receiving films with silly names, not mm. knowing what they were, because you weren't told. told. Yes. Like, I mean, the office might have been told, but they haven't translated that to technical no. department. No. And mm. and that's it is a communication issue. If everyone spoke and everything was streamlined, mm. then I don't think you'd have issues with KDMs being issued no. on time and correctly. Yeah, but to Kevin's point as well on Corpse Bride, I mean, there's mm. been a lot of films released re this year, like issue, First yeah. Blood, you know, E.T., mm. you know, all these older films. Are the studios really so precious about those titles? <clears throat> when that everyone's seen them. Well, but then it's about the revenue, isn't it? It's about making sure you don't slip a show in 
and don't declare it but to the distributor. But you can do that if you're in within the time frame oh. of the KDM. You can oh, show KDM it in the you can, yeah. Yeah, but, you, you can do it. And, and of course, they, they, they record that. But, uh, of uh, course, but a well-known um, distributor of uh, library titles will send you a key that is literally open for 10 or 11 hours. Yeah. See, I think that is, mm-hmm. I think that is silly. I, I mean, back, in, back when I used to do KDMs for the UK and Ireland, once it's in release, this, the industry standard is to have it open for three months. No, not yeah. anymore. Absolutely no, not anymore. No, I've known them for weekly. I'm not. Yeah, weekly. No, we're getting weekly keys now every yeah. week. If it's yeah. a French movie, you might get it only for two hours. Really? Um, oh wow! I've seen that at, fest- at festivals. <laughs> really? So if if you, the program's <laughs> running late, you know you need. To, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get it. If it's a festival. I mean, because it's not, it's pre-release, it's still, you know, high profile, still precious content. But I I think that a lot of people that are perhaps issuing the KDMs or um, certainly giving the people direction on how to issue the KDMs, um, I don't think they've necessarily worked in a festival environment. So when I'm doing it, um, I think, oh, right, well, when I was doing a festival, I probably want it open at at least half an hour before the doors open so that we can do a quick spot check. Obviously, the rehearsal will be done in the morning. Mm -hmm. But we want half an hour before the doors open, and then we want half an hour after, just in case. Yeah. Um, so we will allow. A, generally, we allow a KDM for a festival for up to four hours, um, unless there's a particularly early doors open time, mm. and then we we will discuss it. Um, but I think a lot of people will say, well, the film's only two hours long, so you only need a KDM for two hours. But they don't no. think about everything yeah. else that goes on. Um, no, absolutely, no. You need to test the damn thing. Yeah, yeah, and and I think some people understand that, and I think that some people don't. But it is, I, I think, a lot of people just need to ask for things. Yeah, and, and you'll probably find that people say yes, and it is annoying that you have to ask for things uh, like extensions and whatnot, or say this is a bit silly. Uh, you know, can we discuss this? And I think people, if you bring a solution to the table <coughs> rather than just a problem, I think that people will have that discussion. Uh, mm. and, and you probably can find that you know it will be easier next time well the problem with uh, all sort of similar point with the library titles like The Thing last week or Alien it's reissued uh, the key often opens the same day and actually those films were quite different you know when you when you uh, sorry, how can I explain it in a sensible way? But you know, the sound levels are quite often different on those library titles. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they are. Depends if they've been remastered or yeah, not. Yeah, but mm-hmm. quite often you can't rely on your Dolby Seven level to be correct. Mm-hmm. On uh, even Moulin Rouge, we showed recently. You know, no, no, that's wrong. You know, it was all over the place because obviously it was a thirty-five millimeter release. It's now a DCP, and they've, you know, yeah, I'm sure they've done the best they can. And you, you can't trust that your normal sound level will be correct. We had a DCP at Jaws a few weeks ago, put it on a normal sound level, everyone's wigs came off, it was so loud. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it was like, like they were in one of those uh, centrifuges that, <laughs> that astronauts do, everyone's faces were going, oh my God, that's so loud. <laughs> so, you know, it had to turn it down to like five or something, you know. The KDMs are here mm. too, you know, there's, yeah. there's no option now, but it, there could be a different way of distributing them, mm. making it much more easy for, you know, uh, it's a world yes. where you can communicate digitally mm. with the, with the directly with the server and uh, 
in Norway we're using uh, the base key. I don't know if we using yeah, that. Yeah, I use that actually. Base <coughs> so key, yeah. that normally works quite well. But I mean, for 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 special screenings and so like like you're talking about, mm. maybe that could be another way of distributing them so that to keep the, the the security for the distributor, but make it much more easy to handle for the exhibitor for special screenings and things like that. That should be so a way of doing that. Maybe there could be some reverse technology <coughs> where. You know, we have to declare a key, a sort of generic key that we've opened. No, I, 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 I know what I'm trying to say in my head. Yeah. So we, <laughs> it's a key, but we enter the dates, and that date then and time gets sent to the distributor. We have no control over that. It'll get sent automatically, so that they know we've opened it. Mm. You know, that 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 would be a one sort like of a, a reporting. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we reported that we had no key, so we used the emergency key, opened the film. I don't know. Who knows? Mm. But you you were saying earlier, Mike, that this is it is a bit specific to the UK. This issue It seems to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you spoke about communication earlier on, Tony. Mm. I mean, what kind of communication does there need to be? Well, I don't really because obviously I'm I work with the distributor rather than directly with the exhibitor. So. Yeah. So for, for me, I have an open channel with the distributor in whatever territory and they mm. tell me what they need for special screenings. Um, and then when it comes to their release, I allow I give them blanket approval for KDMs for up to three months as long as they've you know, paid what they owe and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the issues that you're having on the ground in territory, that's a communication issue between the exhibitor and the distributor. And I don't know... I suppose it depends uh, from studio to studio. So, you know, if you've got Studio Canal and E1, they will have a different team, they'll have a different process. And I think actually it's literally just often uh, the people in the office, in the distributors, or, you know, the people we deal with that mm. do the booking are so overwhelmed with work that that one just gets forgotten to put through. Yeah, I used a to. Lot of the time. I used to find that the independence. Um, when I was doing that role, mm. I found that the independents got forgotten about a little bit more than yeah. the bigger yeah. chains. The independent cinemas. Yeah. 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 Because it's a one-off booking that needs booking. to go through the system. Yeah, and, than... you know, and a lot of the sales chats will be over the phone, so they'll be having a nice chat with their mm. mate who runs Picture House yeah. in Uckfield. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, yeah, cool, we've done that deal, but they forget to put it in mm. you know, the system, perhaps, and then mm. the person that's dealing with the KDMs isn't the salesperson. Yeah. So then... You know, if you're not privy to that conversation, it comes to it, and someone goes, "Oh crap, we we haven't got a KDM," and then mm. the person that's made the booking needs to be contacted because you have to get that approved by them. It's very there's a lot of like steps, I think, and, I would, and it needs to be more streamlined. But that's just me speaking from my experience. I don't know if that's different from company to company. Uh, there are some some studios are worse than others, but I would suggest. On average, I have to chase between two and three KDMs every single week. See, it's just yeah. an absolute ball ache. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this is so boring. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry, didn't put it through. That's consistent yeah. with what I'm yeah. hearing. Yeah. Um, and obviously, when you're looking at things across a lot of cinemas yeah. in particular, then that's a lot of KDMs mm. right. you've got to chase. Yeah. And, and so if, do you do that on the ground as your local... The local, you know, or yeah. Well, it depends in the country, but we've got the the, the talk that chases KDMs, right. uh, and they're they're just struggling to keep up with the 
Wow. With the load. That's um, awful. Yeah. <laughs> but it does seem to be. It, I don't think it's only the UK. It just seems to be worse in, worse the, UK. in the UK. And I don't know whether there's something that needs to happen with the UKCA, speaking to the FDA to work out a better system or what. And it also seems to be worse on smaller, um, you know, some of the smaller distributors. Yes. Um, because they'll they'll send they'll send a KDM to Basekey, for instance, just yes. using one example. But because Basekey needs the KDMs to be in a folder, if any of them are in a subfolder, then it ah, won't read them. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and despite the fact that you might tell everyone, don't put them in a subfolder, put them all in one folder. Then they'll go okay, and then that happens for a week, and then it goes back to being in the subfolder back. the week after that, and then you've got the problem again. So, I mean, what I do is I would open those up and then send it myself to base key. I'm too lazy to go around all the projectors and put them in individually. <coughs> yeah, but yes, that's not necessarily ideal, is it? On the well, ground. I think you can do that if it's for one site. Yeah, when for it's one for, site. Yeah, when you got yeah, you know, yeah, 125 yeah. sites, you can't go into each individual no, one and do them because it's really, really time-consuming. There needs to be a, a slick process that because we've got systems in place that just automatically delivered KDMs. Yeah. So there seems to be a booking problem, whether it's film bookers or, you know, the, the sales guys at, mm. the, at the studios, you know, that either someone isn't entering some information somewhere. And again, you know, humans yeah. make mistakes. Don't mind. That's why, we, that's why we chase KDMs because there's the odd mistake. But when it's such a large amount and it's yeah, so often, yeah. something's not right. Mm. And then usually you'll you, you'll get the sites realizing, especially if it's opening on the weekend, they don't necessarily check until last thing on a Thursday night. And then mm. you've got like, you know, the person at the studio is then having to chase thirty KDMs or whatever mm. for the exhibitor, and it's and they might go on holiday and have a long weekend, mm. Uh, mm. and often they won't check their emails on the weekend because why should they? Um, but that's also peak time for the cinema, so mm. it's it's mm. just a yeah. And the, and the, it's not a problem, but it's an unfortunate situation in the fact that we've got a lot of people out there that have a show must go on mentality. Yeah. So they are literally moving mountains to get these KDMs so yeah. the show will go on, yeah. and therefore somewhat masking the problem yeah. because eventually the show will go, we'll on, go on and everyone will just go hey we went on it's fine everything's yeah. fine yeah, go back to point. your live citizens yeah. yeah and I'm the one straight you know because you know, I'm normally very calm and, and cool about everything <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the one on the phone going don't worry I've got no KDM I've got no KDM and the poor bugger at Deluxe is going uh, yeah we'll try to help you sir and I'm going no, but I didn't know I didn't know there's nothing more not I like than anybody. checking Facebook on a Friday yeah. to see your comments about KDMs. <laughs> <laughs> it's the highlight of my week uh, in a sick way. Oh, I try and be calm, and I sort of, hmm, but I can't because then I, you know, the phone rings. Press one for my show is buggered. <laughs> Press two for my show is really buggered. <laughs> but I mean, from from listening to this and you talking about it, it, it sounds like it's maybe like less of a technology problem and, and more a process problem yeah and like and, and like any any process that involves humans speaking to each other and remembering things and is kind of vulnerable mm -hmm. to, yeah it is to break down yeah yeah so that's no, true so we need to find a way to humans, yeah take the humans out of the equation a bit less human yeah and be more technology like yeah it sounds like mm. yeah like but a structural we kind of thought we had done that with 
you know, systems like BaseKey and, you know, KeyGen and, and things like that, you know, we, we're thinking, well, when, when it works, it, it's a technical solution, it works, because then we're yes. hearing things like, you know, oh, we need to, we need a chasing KDM department, or we, we, ah. can, we can provide a service wow. that chases KDM things. Uh, need to chase KDMs yeah. for they should, should not should just, just land work. on you yeah. on your servers. That's what we in, well, installed everywhere. Okay, <laughs> so why can't say for instance the TMS have a uh, an alert system that you know if if if, if within the schedule the yeah within the um, file name is the distributor I believe yeah mm-hmm. so if there's a if there's a programmed you know on the schedule and there's no key. Could, could we not invent technology that then alerted the distributors? Are they going a nice list of <laughs> yeah. dead key at KDMs? You, you, you can, then... um, um, but it's not direct. So no. it doesn't directly alert the distributor no, no. because uh, they would have to have connectivity to all of the TMSs somehow. Right. Mm. Okay. What, what, what does happen is those alerts do come up. They do. And they yeah. activate. Uh, we can you know bring out a spreadsheet that says these are all the KDMs we need and then that is sent to the distributor. Right. Uh, and said, so, right, these are the these are the ones we need. But an automated process would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. That the TMS says, "Oi, no KDM for this. Send one, please." Mm. I just want yeah. the moon on a stick, don't I? You do. What's wrong with that? No. We must strive. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we don't. Have we fixed that. Yeah, that's well, fine. Well, I think we've talked about it. I don't know if we fixed yeah, no, it. Fixed it. No, what's what, what's fixed the next steps? What's the next step? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Do we need to speak to, um, you know, local film cinema exhibitor associations and say, we've got a bit of a problem with KDMs. Can we look into it, please? With the, I think we can, but I think um, it would just be a representation and I don't think much would happen, to be honest. Honestly, don't. Not through any particular... Uh, malaise, but because it, I don't think it would be seen as a majorly urgent issue for a, for people at the top end of things. Mm. You know, that's for us grunts to work out, isn't it? SDCF yeah. has been working on that a long time ago, mm. but I, I think I think they didn't. You know, they had the FLNX system, and uh, yeah. they were going to sort. Of, I think they're planning even to make a huge tender to have someone really organizing this globally, mm. but uh, but that never came through, of course. But uh, but. They they might be sort of a, 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 an entity that, that could uh, could uh, initiate yeah. change. Yeah. I'm not always confident that happens. That you know we we uh, we get you know we make representations about the lack of advertising, you know posters and things like that, and it doesn't really filter through particularly. No, I mean, I mean you know. finding a, a, yeah. another, a change of the system. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Not yeah. not not do it, but just. Uh, because and, and they of course uh, with them the studios are involved so you have that factor uh, which is always mm. a problem when you invent something new mm. it takes time for them to to, to, yeah. uh, to agree approve. to it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it does yeah. Mm. a lot of good ideas that, that never happened because yeah. the studio said no no you can't yeah. do that yeah. Yeah. I think there's also in that respect, um, a or can someone else do it first and just test it? Because we don't want to be the ones to, to try Finally. something new and then it'll go bad. <laughs> no, but it takes so long time for the testing, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, hmm. 
So um, I was alerted to a term the other day mm -hmm. um, called the metaverse. <gasps> And I instantly thought of Doctor Strange. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's just how my brain works. Um, but it's not anything to do with Doctor Strange. Is it not? No. And they're not multiple <coughs> Mike Bradbury's out there in the world. God forbid. <laughs> oh, my word. I don't think of anything um, No. Oh. Uh, but Metaverse. What's all that about? Uh, yeah, well, I guess it's a really good question, <laughs> first of all. Well, that's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The so, big ones. Uh, ADMs mean, and metaverse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Either end uh, of the spectrum. <laughs> like, I think one of the reasons it's uh, difficult to discuss or to grasp is the, the fact that it's undefined. Like, nobody seems to be able to, to agree yet, at least, as to exactly what. The metaverse is and 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 then is it the oasis from ready player one uh well yeah. so like that's one visual of it uh, <laughs> could be um i'm not sure if that's the one the metaverse that i would like us to end up with um and then like i think it was last year mark zuckerberg went ahead and, and renamed his whole company from Facebook to Meta mm. and launched this massive we're going to the metaverse strategy and which I think is kind of what brought it up and, and it became a, a hype word that everyone started talking about and like I don't necessarily think that the metaverse is going to be that ready player one thing and I kind of hope it's not going to be that virtual world that Mark Zuckerberg, so far at least, has presented us with, which is a a um, a world where we seemingly seemingly don't even have legs, <laughs> just sort of like avatars floating yeah. around, um, floating bodies. So, like, actually, my my uh, framing for it is that, um, like, I don't think the way we um, interact with technology has peaked with the smartphone like we're touching glass panels and, and touching buttons and I just don't think it's going to stop there fingers are so overrated yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, how, so, yeah so what what how would we interact you mean like voice AI that kind of thing uh, well I think like that's uh, that's definitely um, uh, it's like other technologies trends that I think will intersect with it um, like one definition of, of the metaverse is that it's a, like a vast online immersive space where people can interact and transact and communicate and collaborate mm -hmm. in uh, something that's virtual but looks more like the physical world basically well, I had a look online on a few things and a lot of it's to do with benefiting education um, you know things like how to fix cars how to do brain surgery how to do transplants and things like that in, in a virtual environment yeah, in a virtual environment yeah yeah um, yeah definitely and, and so like that benefits in that regard yeah and, and I guess it's kind of where it gets difficult right because you can most definitely like virtual reality is coming in fast like uh, 
Speaking of meta, while, though, isn't it? They, I mean, yeah. VR yeah. has been coming for a long time. <clears throat> yeah, it's not yeah, quite but but like looking the, at yeah. some of the latest hardware that's come out mm. in the space, like j- just over the past few months, it's pretty impressive. Like the level of immersiveness that VR headsets are getting to, and and I think it's like for industrial uh, use cases like like surgery or mm. or um, engineering that sort of stuff. I think virtual reality is going to play uh, like a massive uh, part in, in what the future looks like but that doesn't necessarily have to do anything with like the metaverse the metaverse as some presented would be that you you're in a virtual world and you do your engineering stuff virtually and then you would put down your virtual tools and walk out your virtual door uh. to go to do meet up with your virtual friends, for instance. So it's the Matrix, basically. <laughs> it does sound like the Oasis, yeah. Yeah. doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. But like, I'm I'm not sure where that's necessarily where we're going to end up. Like, might be, but um, and I think like one of the difficult things uh with evaluating innovation is that we often apply a too short time frame to it so like we would one year ago practically nobody talked about the metaverse because yeah nobody did and now everyone's been talking about the metaverse for six months and the vague definition isn't something that's going to materialize in like the next year this is a what does the world look like in a 10 year time frame or 15 year mm-hmm. time horizon is it is it universally a good thing or is it something that needs to be regulated is it something that starts off is it is it like jurassic park as in you know sounds like it sh- sounds like it's a good idea but in the end it wasn't because <laughs> Do you know what I mean? yeah. Just because we can doesn't, doesn't mean, mean we should. We should. Gonna, no, absolutely. I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> Metaverse might be something like the Jurassic Park. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, goes to it's not the idea that the more attractive idea for me, having read about this a bit, is the concept of the Web 3.0 idea, where actually instead of a, a metaverse that we are immersing ourselves in virtually, we just have this Internet of Things where everything's interconnected. My, my fridge calls me and goes, oh, I think we're out of milk. Can mm-hmm. you stop and get some, please? Mm-hmm. <laughs> In yeah, this vein, kind of I got a text message yeah. from my washing machine the other day to hey. tell me that it finished its cycle. I was like, <laughs> okay, but I still need to go down and turn yeah. it off. Yeah. You don't ring it back and say, give it an extra spin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably could, you know. <laughs> uh, but that, that to me seems a more useful uh, uh, meta because you know, that still is effectively a metaverse isn't it in that everything's connected and well yeah that's kind of where it gets um, um, kind of advanced or, or difficult to keep up uh, because you have this notion of, of web 3 that's mm. also being talked a lot about and and like that's less about how experiences and how products are presented and it's more about um, so like the fundamental building blocks that we use to create right. this product. So for instance, like a, a core concept of Web3 is this idea of owning things in a digital space. Oh, um, oh what, like the, uh, what do they call them? Fungible, tangible, yeah, wonderful and, things. And, like we, uh, and, and what's ended up being sort of like the proof of concept for NFTs thus far, it's been um, like 
arts and culture and and community engagement and that's turned into some pretty interesting but also weird projects like everyone relates nfts to pictures of monkeys yeah yeah, mm. yeah that's what it's about and 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 university derided mostly wasn't it as a concept yeah yeah and and that's one way like an nft represents ownership of that monkey picture but it mm. can also represent ownership of your data as a user online for instance like we have this internet um that's basically controlled by three four five entities yeah, that yeah we don't own our own data like mm. people build up um online audiences on, on the, the, the platforms like twitter for instance and, and you just don't own uh you don't own that audience you don't own that handle you you only borrow it from twitter actually elon musk now which mm. makes it even more yeah. scary i guess yeah. <laughs> um so so in a web3 version of this you would own your twitter handle mm. you would own your online identity and you could bring it along with you to different products and services on the internet and since i own my data it's um the the products that i want to interact with um needs to offer me value and incentive in return like i'll tell you who i am if you can tell me what i'll get back for it mm. Mm. and that kind of makes it a, a more uh a, mm. thinking more healthy yeah because you've got control it's not all about someone else making profit off your e- data exactly off, yeah off exactly. Your experience. does this mean that i won't have to keep accepting or this or rejecting cookies yeah <laughs> uh yeah well, th- that's actually a really good um good um example to pull up or mm. a thread to start pulling on because cookies have been the way um, companies have identified users across different destinations on the internet mm. up until this point mm-hmm. and it's not a very privacy friendly way because the way cookies work is kind of that i just leave some signatures of of my signature around uh the internet and then there's advanced algorithms that pull it all together and then mm. gradually learns more things about me and like that's kind of going away now like um apple um in a recent ios update they they introduced this idea of, of um, blocking advertisement mm. uh trackers Uh, as a standard like that's turned on for users um you you get asked uh do you want to be tracked by this entity and you actually got it like say yes i want to be tracked and most people don't so like that cookie identity layer uh, or Mm. tracking layer of the internet is i think it will go away over time and that leaves a gap in uh, how um how sort of like companies and their customers can communicate. So how would that affect, say, your business model? If you've got a ticketing system that does require quite a lot of personal data from a from a customer that you need to store on your system to enable them to buy a ticket. And, you know, you, and also we as exhibitors like to track their behavior. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think the value exchange needs to become much more 
things like clear and explicit like I want this information from my patrons mm. because I mean, and and or and then I'll give you this value in return. So it's, so sort it's of like more of a two-way street. Yeah. Because yeah, at I the moment, so. it all seems a bit cloak and dagger. It's <clears> like <throat> you press this button and it's like, what information are they storing? So at least, yeah, it would be more of a two-way conversation. And but, you, don't, you know. but don't you think that Googles and the Amazons would find a way around tricking you into that data anyway, ultimately? Because effectively, uh, the, leg- the re- more recent legislative the legislation that's tried to prevent this kind of thing you know the gdpr and stuff is effectively trying to sort of rather clunkily do what you're describing but it doesn't really work does it you know well i i like i i think the gdpr um is a like i'm not a it is clunky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. It is clunky. Uh, I think the, the, the idea of the, that uh, regulation is to bring more clarity into mm-hmm. what data is actually collected from consumers around the internet. Like it's still as much data collected on yes. people mm. before or after, uh, or after GDPR. Yeah. It's just yeah. that the entities collecting needs to more clearly state I am collecting and but you have the option to get that data as for, for it to be yeah. removed and deleted. Well I mean my experience of it is that all I do is ah blue now yes I accept cookies bugger off bugger <laughs> off bugger off and and yeah you know, I'm not gonna read it and I just want to get to yeah. you know order my inflatable unicorn yeah. and and I'm not gonna yeah. worry about it. So <laughs> Yeah of course it's a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you so can like do I, a lot with a um, unicorn mate. And and the other thing uh, I was going to say about that was, of course, that, um, you know, we had to jump through a lot of hoops, all of us across Europe, to, to bring this GDPR stuff in. And I've got my inbox GDPR inquiries, and I check it once a year. And guess what? There's not a single email in it. Nobody <laughs> seems to really care. I mean, they sort of care. If you said to somebody, they're stealing your data, they know things about you, oh, my God, and they were going to go, oh, no, this is terrible, well, please stop. But actually... Again, they just want to buy their inflatable unicorn and get on with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know. We got used to it, right? And, yeah. and nobody's misused mm. data in like a very significant way. No. Yeah. Mm. So, so, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the idea that you own your data sounds a really good yeah. idea. I just wonder how much people actually care yeah. about it. So, so, to paint a different picture, like trying to bring this idea of, of um, ownership online and, and use your own data mm. and bringing in a bit of metaverse just to paint a picture of what could be in um, uh, in the future and, and this is one of the things that we're kind of like exploring um, at the X with a longer time horizon and and I think it's um, this idea of connected experiences mm. um, because when people go to see a movie especially when they go to see a movie from a franchise, for instance, their engagement for that content isn't isolated to going to that specific screening. Um, They engage with that content across different formats. Um, And like I, um, I envision a, a future where say the next Batman movie comes up and virtual sets in movie productions become a huge thing, thing now. So um, so when they make the Batman movie, they recreate all of Gotham City. And if I could start engaging with that story 
through my browser, for instance, like actually going in and exploring a part of Gotham City hmm. uh, and then maybe picking up something in that experience so that when I go to the cinema to watch the movie, the fact that I was in that virtual world mm. of Gotham City before the movie mm. and picked up this digital thing, so it signals that I'm really passionate about this content, for instance. So when I go to the movies, that should matter. The fact that I'm bringing this digital proof of my engagement with me. And what would be even cooler is if when I'm done watching the movie and say during the plot line, a part of Gotham City is like buildings explode and, and, and starts burning and stuff. And I have an incentive to go back and explore more after the movie. And I go back into that virtual world, the metaverse experience, if you will. And now it's changed mm. because I went to see the movie. I've seen the story. So I understand why this building that previously was there, it's burning now or it's destroyed because mm. that happened in the movie. And mm. it's like create this, this interesting uh, experiences where the storytelling kind of goes beyond um, the movie itself, for instance. Mm. It introduces all yeah. that continuity, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but in the current world, that would then be used to market the crap out of it, wouldn't it? <laughs> and send you, bombard you with all sorts of, hey, you like Batman. Look at this inflatable Batman yeah. we want to sell you. <laughs> you know, you're all about the inflatable. <laughs> so really, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, next, next topic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> agenda. Yeah, I just wonder. I wonder, you know, because ultimately that's where that that's what drives these things. Ultimately, isn't it? It's being able to sell you things. Yeah, if they can't sell well, you anything. Who wants to? Who wants to invest all that well, time uh, in technology? Yeah, uh, at, like at the core, mm. like it's business, right? But, yeah. But, it, but uh, like a, a, another thing that I think is relevant to pull forward with regards to Web three and metaverse and and this stuff is. Um, looking at who adopts new consumer technology. Um, uh, you've probably all seen this innovation uh, adoption curve of early adopters and late adopters mm. and mm. so on. Um, and um, younger generations are always overrepresented in the earliest phases of technology adoption. Mm. And I think that's like an interesting overlap with this recurring theme for the cinema industry with regards to how do we attract and engage younger, younger yeah. audiences. So um, like w with that in mind, I, I think understanding these new emerging consumer technologies for cinemas and, and leveraging them the right way is actually a pretty important tool in order to be able to communicate and connect in an authentic way with those younger audiences. No, that's a that's actually a really good point because it's we, we, we ignore we ignore the, the, the upcoming audiences at our peril, don't we? And we need to find new ways to engage in it. That's absolutely right. We do. We absolutely yeah. do. There's yeah. this uh, there's a mental trap that I, I like to to, uh, to be conscious about and it's uh, the like personal preference bias like I look at something yeah. new and that's up and coming and I immediately go do I want this yeah, yeah. no I don't and so I kind of write it off 
which is so easy to do. Mm-hmm. Like we all see, bias, yeah. we all see mm-hmm. the world from mm-hmm. our own perspective, and that's not uh, that's not so weird since our eyes are actually attached to our heads, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think in understanding how, for most, getting rid of our legs. I, 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 I have to understand that not everything is inflatable. You do. Yes, true. But yes, it's a really good point. And we, we do struggle as an industry to, to engage younger audiences. We struggle we to do. change yes. as an industry. Yeah. Yeah. We I, really do. And and because it's you know, let's face it, it's expensive to change in, in many ways and we have to accommodate all audiences, not just yeah. the old, not just the you know, the middle aged, not just the, the younger guys. We've got to try and engage with everybody and that's actually really hard. Yeah. You know, to satisfy everybody. I think that, you know, on a if we're talking if we go back to your cityscape for Gotham then that's just so exciting because then there's going to have to be a collaboration between the filmmaker and their perception so and then like game designers and that's incredible and you are seeing uh, I think we have seen um, game designers in the cinema industry a little bit more just recently but so it is sort of tracking that way but when you're a well-established film director and you're probably 70 years old, then that's exactly what you're saying. It's like, you, you know what you know, you've been doing it for 50 years, and this is scary and different. And that's that's what needs to be It's overcome. an extra layer of experience, isn't it? It's And, yeah. and, and it, that's not gonna happen in all auditoriums across the land. No. Um, it's a little bit like the PLF in a way, in the fact that you're gonna be able to offer this here, this here, this here. But at the same time, what would a cinema need to do for that? Because it sounds like it's not even related to the cinema. Well, it sounds like it's that's extracurricular. Well, yeah, it is, I think that's it the is. point. It's outside the experience yeah. of going to the cinema, yeah. but it becomes part of the experience of going to the cinema. And it yeah. pushes you to the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like from from a cinema's perspective, I think that's that would obviously be, um, should be the goal. Like how can we leverage this technology to actually funnel Get people, people in? And get people excited about the cinematic experience, but maybe in the future that exists in sort of like a broader connected. Uh, so your metaverse of Gotham will be altered for you only once it knows you've been to the cinema to watch Batman and watch this building burn down. Yeah, yeah. for instance. Well, obviously that's not going to affect Kevin, who might not have gone to see Batman. No, yet. exactly. And, and, and his and, version <clears throat> of Gotham has still got the building yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. because he's not experienced that yet. Yeah. Do, do, and, how does it know you've been to that cinema to so watch? That's, uh, well, f- first of all, that's exactly the way that I imagine this scenario would play out, which by definition, to be fair, makes it not a metaverse mm-hmm. because it's persistent it's for and, you. Yeah. For, and the same for everyone. So... Mm. The idea of the metaverse is that if somebody goes and virtually punch a hole through the wall, then when the next person comes mm. around, there's a hole in the wall. Mm. So this is more like an immersive experience mm. that might be metaverse-like in many ways. But mm. um, but that's where this notion of ownership uh, of data comes in. Like how do you connect the fact that I experienced this thing in a browser in one system, and then I went to the cinema bought a ticket and then that runs on a different system and then I have the ticket and I go back to this experience and that's on the first system 
you get all of these things to communicate. to communicate, mm. um, and that's where an NFT, for instance, is pretty magical because it's an open standard that any um, that any system can decide to to connect to. But ironically, it's more tracking than there, there ever was before, isn't it? Is that, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's of... tracking something that you want to be tracked. You know, it's it's not. It's mm. you're you're it's opting your decision. in. You're opting yeah. in, which is exactly what you were saying yeah. about. Yeah, but, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point, right? Because uh, continuing on that, uh, sort of the the virtual Gotham. There's nobody forcing you to take the digital item that proves that you right. are there. Okay. With cookies, uh, there's this you know the small alert. You click it away because you're tired of. And it's almost like people are sneaking something in, in your yeah. back pocket without sure. you noticing. Sure. Um, but in this example, using NFTs, for instance, it kind of flips it. You can collect this thing if you want to, and then you can use it for something else yeah. later on. So that then begs the question, how do, you, how do you regulate that stuff? Because, you know, marketeers are going to use nefarious ways to get around that sort of thing, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah, and it, it, like it brings in a, another uh, challenge with um, like the, the current mainstream, or I can't even really call it mainstream, but like the main use case of NFTs right now, which is creating yes. digital art and like uh, it's like a financial asset basically. Yeah. But I can still um, so, screenshot it, but it'll yeah. most, you know. <laughs> It's like with with any regu- regulation, right? It, it usually it needs to come in after yeah. things after have been built, yeah. and then start trying to create some structure and some security and and everything safety around this new innovation. It can't be just a an open opportunity space, and then you have somebody trying to regulate this open space before there's anything yeah. built there. to regulate yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it, is, yeah. it is staggering how passive we are about a lot of this stuff really i mean i all, all i mean i know i keep making a joke about it but i'm almost certain that when i scroll through facebook later today it's going to come up with inflatable unicorn adverts because it's listening to me it's listening to me and we all think this is highly hilarious oh god i was talking about inflatable unicorns and guess what inflatable unicorns came Actually, that's really yeah. That's dark. It is. Yeah. That's it is. dark. It is. I was talking to you someone know. last night in the pub um, yeah. about uh, his newsfeed versus his wife's newsfeed. So oh, he yeah. received some, uh, basically, an article about a crime that had occurred in an area, and he was like, "Oh, you know," to his wife, "Have you, have you heard about this? It was on Facebook, and she, he, he could not find it on her Facebook because it's not targeted. Mm-hmm. Like it is targeted, mm-hmm. but not to mm-hmm. her." Uh, and I, you know, I know that this happens, but I don't worry about it. But I wonder if I should worry mm. about it, mm. you know. <laughs> but I suppose we've always been passive and accepting of marketing. It's just now in a different format. We, yeah. used, you know, your TV, if you watch a TV program or listen to a certain radio station at a certain time of day, you get a certain advert because they know who's watching it. Mm. You know, so yeah. it, it's not, it's no different. It's just a different realm, mm. I suppose. But our data is now on the line. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and, and and it's also the trade-off that we, as a society, kind of yeah. have accepted over the past fifteen years. We got all these really well-built online digital products mm. for free to mm. email, to communicate with our friends, to chat, to plan events, to do everything, and it's all free. Mm. Um, it's not free. We yeah. 
pay with our eyeballs. Yeah, we do we pay with our attention instead of our money. Yeah. So does this make a cinema ticket being an NFT possible? Um, effectively, you buy the experience. Yeah. So I think in the within, I'll, I'll make a future prediction. I think in within. Mm, five to seven years, maybe stretch it out to 10 years to be on the safe side. I think an insane amount of things will be NFTs Mm -hmm. and we just won't know it. um, Tickets will be NFTs. Um, Basically anything that's like a contract between people and that needs somebody to settle that contract and needs rules and can put that on a blockchain and enable it to settle itself. Um, and uh, I think it's just going to be a, a, play a massive part in how we build digital products in, in the future. Um, but we need to get to this point where the technology starts to abstract away. Like nobody should, like a cinema shouldn't switch to a new ticketing pause just because it's powered by NFTs because that in itself isn't exciting. It's what comes next. What can we build because we use this new technology? So I think a lot of things will be uh, NFTs and I think all of us will carry around a bunch of NFTs in our digital wallets in the future and they're just not going to be called NFTs. It will be a movie ticket and it will be a hotel reservation and it will be whatever else. Yeah. But presumably that has um, implications also for security of credit cards and things like that online, I guess, which could make payments easier for ticketing systems. Yeah, so I guess this is where you could pull in like the third word, but uh, uh, which is crypto, like the, mm, right. the idea of transacting currency and, and like, crypto as all of these tokens and things that go up and go down uh, I, I usually don't discuss that <laughs> but what's interesting is is uh, like what's called stable coin coins which is like a dollar or a pound or a euro that just exists on the blockchain because you can transact in a, in a like internet native way and I think that's going to be heavily regulated uh, it which it should be, and yeah. then it becomes normalized to to yeah. pay for things online with yeah. digital first <sighs> like currencies. having a digital wallet yeah 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 because mm-hmm. to, yeah. Be, to be fair right now the way we transact it's online like is we built this powerful internet world machine and we use the old banking and credit card schemes mm-hmm. kind of just like layering it on top and that's also why one of the reasons why we ended up with this not paying for things online with money but paying for things online with our eyeballs mm. because the internet didn't have like a native way to transact Thank value you. Mm. Uh, can we just back up a little bit oh and I was back. sorry I was going to make a joke but backed up no, don't. this is not appropriate <laughs> don't sorry <laughs> um because we're talking about Web three, Web three point zero, what what differentiates that from Web one and Web two? You know, what for the for for the uninitiated, um, you know, what's what's the diff? What, what's Web one in comparison to Web two? 
yeah let's uh um, so the the simplest way to to describe it is that the first iteration of the internet was based on reading we consumed information on the internet then the second iteration or layer of the internet brings in the idea of writing on the internet that's when we started to see social media mm. and we don't just go to to the internet to consume information but we also produce and publish information ourselves and then this third emerging layer that's called web3 brings in the idea of owning things online so it goes from read to read and write to read and write and own and it's um, kind of just introduces a new building block a new uh, a core concept to the internet that we can use to build new things just like um, um, just like the idea of being able to uh, giving ev- anyone the opportunity to publish things online 20 years ago mm-hmm. shifted the internet pretty significantly from the Wikipedia's to the mm. Facebooks and the Instagrams and passive. yeah, and and so the, the the interesting question is, what are the experiences that we can can build with this new building block of ownership? And what's interesting is that we all always start in like a skeuomorphic way when we get something a new innovation that we can build with. We start by looking at what does the current thing look like and how can we augment the current thing with this new technology so for instance in the beginning in the early days of the internet um, websites for newspapers looked like newspapers and now they look like something else because they've sort of like found their native format on the internet Mm. Um, and I think we're going through that phase with Web3 mm. and will be for, for a while, mm. m- trying to create better solutions of the existing things. And then at some point in the future, I'm pretty sure we're going to look back at this time and think like, why didn't we see this new thing? It was right in front of us. Story and then, we'll have, then we'll have Web4.0. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. constantly evolving. Yeah, and, and that's like, the great thing about technology; yeah. it does constantly evolve. Oh yeah, and yeah. and like uh, Snoop Dogg, the uh, the hip hop artist, he has immersed himself in a lot of Web three stuff. But according to himself, he, I think, he's already skipped like three, two or three steps ahead. So he he's working on Web six or something. So Snoop Dogg, yeah, way ahead of us. Oh like, man, my head hurts. Yeah. <laughs> we can I've, phone him and get Snoop Dogg yeah, on, the get Snoop on the next that would podcast. Be, what a, uh, very good guest. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I would. Yeah, I would fangirl. <laughs> well, he'll come on. Yeah. He'll come on. He'll come on with his shizzle. I'm down with the kids. Yeah. We've got to be older than me, isn't he? Yeah. You can give him five million dollars. He'll come hey. on. <laughs> I reckon. Didn't he go to Cine Europe once? He did. He came to Cine Europe. Really? Yeah. And sung the song from that silly movie about racing snails. No. <laughs> Turbo. Oh, turbo. <laughs> he did. Snoop, Snoop was in the house. He was. <laughs> it's true. All these old oh. buffers, you know. Is that Snoop Dogg? <laughs> 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 it, was, it was on the roof 
but in anyway, but in Barcelona, yeah, it was. Okay, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll come back with another topic. Okay, we're back, and we are now going to talk about screen geometry, screen types, screen everything. Oh, uh, because you know a lot of people are putting in laser projection. Well, some people are. Um, there's always been a direct relationship between the projector and the screen. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's quite important. Yeah, it is. But you know, but point, it, it, point your projector well, it, at the screen. Well, it is, it is important, obviously, first, but it's, it's overlooked. Yeah. It's overlooked. <laughs> and how the point projector the right is point. pointed at the screen and how the screen is in relation to the projection light hitting it is obviously very important uh, because we don't all sit in the same chair. We all sit in different seats, um, and that obviously has an effect on the reflected light. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to go into a little bit on LED screens because that's not reflected light. No. Um, so Rolf used to, or might even still do a little bit of it, I don't know, um, design a lot of auditoriums and obviously took this into consideration a lot on the design of said auditorium. So... Um, we had a bit of a conversation last night we about um, the geometry and what we need to do better in order to accommodate good light levels across the screen from yeah. every seat. Well, when we introduced the silver screens, you know, we, we did the major change in how the lights are reflected in the room. So actually you're making a lot less seats uh, uh, acceptable, uh, mm. from, uh, which I, you know, and... and one of the things, you have the standards, and it's important to have a standard, what is correct, uh, but it's always measured from the center seat. So you, you, you measure 14-foot Lambert on, on the center screen from, from the center seat, and then, and then uh, it, it drops off as, as you see it on the side. So uh, that makes a lot of seats uh, unacceptable. But, but then, what if you just instead of doing 14-foot Lambert in the center, did 17-foot Lambert. And it's a bit too high, but it makes more of the seats uh, acceptable, you know? Um, but would that on a silver screen give you a really nasty hotspot, for instance? Or it might be old-fashioned? Not, 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 not going to one. 17 wouldn't make no, a big no. difference, okay. no. There, there are systems that do much more than that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it's just a suggestion, you know, because I, I, you know, as a designer, it's always a problem, you know, uh, how how you, you can do it from a, from a distortion, you know, if you if you too close to the screen or if you too far to the sides, you know, all those. Uh, but but with a silver screen and and and, and the, sort of the selective reflection, you you have a much more. Uh, mm. uh, there, there are apps that, 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 that where you can see how bad it really is. But do we want silver screens, though? That's where I'm a bit... That's uh, another some question. we have to if we yeah. want to continue with some 3D. Well, <laughs> we all know my feelings about that. Um, can I just ask a question on that? Uh, is this more of an issue for bigger screens in terms of light dispersion? Well, actually, no. It's a, it's a matter of, of your, your feel of you where you're sitting mm -hmm. relative to the screen surface. Or, or, yeah. I'm just thinking if, if the light is measured from, say, two-thirds of the way back in the centre in a very small boutique screen, would the light drop-off not be significantly less than it would on a bigger screen? It's about the angle to the screen. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's the angle, it's the gain, 
Yeah. It's whether it's curved, whether it's not curved. Okay. It helps with the curve. Yeah. Um, so a curve would help a little bit fall off then. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I did not know that. That I didn't yeah. know. I mean, depending on the percentage of the curve, hmm. it, it can help a lot. Um, you know, the general rule is... It, Years ago, it used to be that you would only curve a really, really large screen mm. because only a really, really large screen needed a really, really large gain. Right. Because you had to compensate for the light output of the projector somehow, you know. So, and also there was this mentality of, um, you know, because if, if you've got a really, really large screen, eventually it will drop off and therefore you've got a different distance between the edge of the screen to the center, mm. so therefore that will affect the focal distance. Okay. So you want to bring it round. Um, I've heard, I've read that the new lenses on the digital projectors, not the new, but the lenses on the digital projectors are designed more for a flat screen, not a curved screen. But also the one for 35 was... Yeah. Yes, if, yes. If not, you, you, would, you would have to either curve the, the screen no vertically way. too, mm. or, or you would need, uh, you know... To, I've, always so, been a, a, I've always been interested in that question, never having had a curved screen. I mean, maybe I should know the answer, but how do you... How do you, you, you keep the edges in focus if you've got a deep no, It still goes screen. in focus. Yeah. It's, still, it's, it's still within, within the, the depth of focus. Again, so yeah. so depending it's on a, the curve of your screen. Right. Yeah. Um, you have the same issue with, with the down. Uh, yeah, so you're, you're, fighting, you're fighting all these different, yeah. different distances to whatever. And, and, and geometry geometries, challenges. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, it, it, it's, the, the picture is, is projected as uh, the flat screen gives you the most correct picture. You get the keystone that you can sort of correct, but uh, on the curved screen, the, the bottom line goes uh, is, is, curved. is curved. It's curved, you know? yes. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a horizontal line, it's going to be curved. Yeah. And sometimes it, co- it comes out of the screen and you don't see the full line. Right. I, this is bringing me back to Odeon Leicester Square days where we used to do the premieres because we mm-hmm. had curved screen. So mm-hmm. we would have to come up with some wizardry with various engineering companies to make it look and sound wonderful. But Well, you in, you invariably have to over-zoom mm. um, and then crop it out. Which means you're losing some of the pictures. You are, but yeah. that, doesn't, that shouldn't matter. And the reason it shouldn't matter is because there's always going to have to be a tolerance. Yeah, there's a safety, the a safety line essentially, a safety box. Yes. Yeah, and whenever that, we create anything. Another not. way to solve it is actually to make the, the the screen bottom line a bit curved, so mm-hmm. so that you follow that curve. Which which IMAX do. Yeah, they do. They call it a smile. Yeah. yeah. So, on a curved screen, yeah. not on yeah. a flat screen. Yeah. Curved screen. Yeah, well, they invariably yeah. always have a curved screen. Yeah. So so what like you what you see screen. is is a line. Uh, relative to to the screen bottom line, uh, but, but if you're sitting up in the auditorium in, in, uh, and looking down, you know, uh, if if you really analyzed your your vision of the screen, you would have the, the straight line. You will see this curve, but you don't notice that because you know the line, the bottom line is is horizontal. Mm. So where does that leave us with many auditoria that do not have masking? Because surely this kind of geometry requires proper masking doesn't it to make it look correct to your eye no no not no, really it doesn't but dci okay. says that you should have masking on right yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. It but does. but they very few few does you know and uh, uh but there, there I, I think they're more simpler way to make the masking you, you don't yeah. need the full uh, curtains masking you can make them uh, simpler just to to to, to uh, take away those the, 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 lines yeah. around yeah Okay. Yeah, but I mean, going back to your original point, I mean, I don't think. Are you talking about increasing the brightness 
uh, to 17 or 18 foot Lamberts and, and therefore changing the industry so that they're mastered for that much? No. Uh, or are we saying, let's just make the center brighter so it invariably makes the edges brighter, but you're always going to have the same percentage drop-off. Yeah, the percentage. No matter how bright you put it up, which, you know, we, we had a we had a conversation in BAFTA, yes. you know, ages ago, mm. where we first met, actually, mm. um, with some cinematographers that were complaining about that very thing mm. because they projected a film in a screen where in order to get the edges brighter... They did increase the center, and all it did was make the center brighter than the DOP wanted it. And the end, you ended up seeing artifacts in the image that you you wouldn't have seen had it been projected at the right foot Lambert's in the middle. Um, so it's it, it can't be just make the center brighter because you're inevitably going to make the others brighter because this goes back to a point I was asking um, in another podcast, I think, which is... You know, it's it's supposed to be 14-foot Lamberts in the middle, closed gate, which means from the server, and then the the percentage drop-off on the edges needs to be managed by the curve and the gain. And and if the gain is high, you're going to have a less... You're going to have more drop-off on the sides. And the way you compensate for that is by curving it, because it will make the sides brighter by curving it. Uh, you're, you're partly right, but you don't really compensate that much no you don't you know you, you you compensate quite a large percentage you don't compensate really? to the same point of going to 95 percent of the center no you you don't you don't compensate fully but you do compensate quite a lot you can go if you've got a flat screen yeah let's say we've got a flat silver screen and the middle is 14 mm. yeah then the edges could be as low as 36 percent of the middle yeah mm. um if you curve it it will go from 36% probably to around either well, around 60, mm. which is still not 95% of the middle, but it's definitely better. Mm. Um, but that's measured from the center seat. You mean that you see... The, the oh, yeah. 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 But I, I, I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the extreme seats on the front rows. Well, that comes yeah. to the to the half-gain angle argument. Yeah. Half-gain, you know, it's that's really low to me, you know. So what you're saying is you want to put LED screens everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> because you're That's always not, going no. to have to have a compromise when you're dealing with projection. Yeah. No matter what screen you've got in, with the exception of a matte white, and there's very few cases you can afford to have a matte white. And not that they're expensive, but I mean, if you've got a matte white screen, you've got to put a hell of a lot of light on that screen in order to get the right foot lamberts, depending on the screen size. Yeah. If you've got a six meter, five meter screen width, it's not a lot of light. You, you've got no. a lot of light because the projectors are going to accommodate. But if you've got a 15, 16 meter wide screen and you want to map white, you've got to put a hell of a lot of power through that projector to get the 14 foot Lamberts because it's just not giving you the, the gain help. I, 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 depending, of course, of, on, on the screen size and things. Mm. But uh, I, you know, I love the matte white screens, but that's much. So do I. Yeah, but so I mean, you, you can go to one point four gain, matte which white. is uh, yeah. which one point four gain, which sort of uh, is a compromise that 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 uh, where you, you can uh, you yeah you have to increase your light a little bit more. Mm. Uh, if you do three D, you have enough light anyway. But uh, if you've got a fifteen 3D, to twenty meter wide screen. And you've got a matte white screen. You're effectively going to have to put the sun in your projector. No, no, no. Uh, it, 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 no, obviously not going to be the sun, but it, it needs to be. It needs to be an incredibly powerful lumen projector to achieve consistently achieve 14 foot Lamberts. 
on that size screen. It absolutely does. It's one of the reasons why iMac screens are at least 2.4 to 2.9, sometimes 3 point something game. Hmm. So would you do that with the you, you, lasers are capable of that kind of light? Like, Even with the lasers, they would want that because they don't... You've got laser, but the laser has to last you a long time. So, so you can right. say, just because we have the light doesn't mean we're going to use it all straight away because mm. you've got to make it last a long time. Mm. So they still want to run the, the lasers, you know, coal, shall we say, um, you know, 30, 40, 50% power so that they've got a lot of headroom to go into. Um, I mean, I think there's other reasons why IMAX use silver screens, even though they don't need to, because they most of the time use color separation 3D. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, which is why I was saying, well, why are you putting a, why are you putting a silver screen in if you're not going to use polarized right. 3D? And it, I think it's to do with the mastering of the DCPs because they want to be able to create one master and they don't have to worry about different screen types hmm. because obviously the contrast will look differently on a white screen compared to a silver screen. It just seems really odd to me that we're slightly letting the tail wag the dog, doesn't it? I mean, given the amount of 3D there is and putting silver screens in, which I remember an old engineer saying to me, they only ever look any good from the box, you know? It's just the optimum place to, to look at it because it's coming directly back at you. Well, so why? On my boxes. Well, yeah, but oh, well, these days, yes, these <laughs> days, these days. But what I mean is, why why are we letting why are we letting silver screens still exist when there's about 0.1 percent 3D in most of because our cinemas? Because you need to have the capability for when it's there. I mean, everyone's saying the same thing about Avatar now. You know, people were taking 3D out until everyone starts getting a bit twitchy about, well, I want to be able to show Avatar in 3D. Present company accepted, yeah, well, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, a lot of people are looking at Avatar, particularly in the current market, as, you know, we need to make hay while the sun shines on this. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a way of making more money. Um, so... You know, silver screens are a reality, and there's different types. Silver screens have got a bad name, and in many cases, that's that's justified because there's a lot of silver screens out there that are not great. Certainly now, I mean, a lot of them are ten odd years old. Um, the newer technology of silver screens um, are much better than what they were when they first came out. Yeah, they're not they're not as great as a as a, as a you know matte white or a, a, a normal white screen, shall we say, but the, the, the technology has come a lot further now compared to where it was when the first Avatar came out, for instance, which was, what, 13 years ago. Um, but so I'm, I'm curious about the... I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the increase the centre, so the edges... I, it was just a suggestion, you know, from, yeah, from yeah. a designer's point of view, how, how, you, can, uh, how you can sort of... Uh, uh, extend, compensate. Yeah, compensate for, mm. for uh, giving people a, a, a bad experience and uh, uh, is it come bad? Because I know you you mentioned if you, if you have like five foot Lambert's watching the movie, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, it yeah. is, it is. But is it? You know, I would I would argue we were in the same position even in the thirty five mil days when you'd be showing 30, 14 foot Lambert's in the middle. If you were sat off to the left, the image on the right was still was still not 14 foot Lamberts because you've, you're always going to have, if you have a gain on the screen, even with a curve, you're going to have that element of the hotspot following you yeah. wherever you move. And yeah. I don't think there's any way around that apart from LED screens. Yeah. Well, curving the screen helps you also with, 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 uh, with uh, 
spot, high level spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah it absolutely right. does. But, um, but so it's so a gain screen and curve, um, cur- gain screen and curve screening mm. goes together. Mm. Uh, but I'll also say, you know, I've looked at this as well, and you can put a white light on screening at 14 foot lambs in the middle, and then there's a little bit of drop off on the edges. And sometimes it'll, it'll look like more drop-off than you'd probably want from a visual perspective. You know, forget the meters. Mm. It just looks darker on the edges. Mm. And you're thinking, ooh, that's not great. But you stick a film on, and then you bring someone in who hasn't just been looking at it and say, which is darker? I'll, I'll be surprised if anyone can tell, unless it's particularly bad. Mm. You know, unless it's literally a, a 2.4 gain um, silver screen on a flat, frame and it's got a hot spot in the middle and it will be dark on the edges um but if you've got a reasonable curve and it's 50 60 70 percent on the edges you're not going to have that oh my god it's really dark on the edges experience so that that's sort of the subjective but if you have asked the yeah, cinematographer he said wow that doesn't look like my uh, yeah so. but there's a difference between a screening room and a normal cinema and I know there shouldn't be, but the reality is. Of course there, it is. There is. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah. It's a screening room will be a matte white every day, all day long. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's going to be. It's going to be a matte white screen, probably a matte white preview or whatever. It's going to be the best screen in the land. Do you know what I mean? But it's because they've got the money to, every, yeah, to do that, and, and and they absolutely should. Yeah, and people will also pay to go and watch their movie, and and I think that's. I think we've mentioned this before, but I, I do believe that the expectation of filmmakers is a little bit warped because they never go and watch the film in a normal cinema so when they come to a premiere um and and they're like oh light level on the screen it's dropped off on the left or whatever mm. um it's like well that's just the reality of being in a commercial cinema mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and you know they rightfully so sign off on these dcps in the best best possible environments but there needs to be that by the way, when we have this here, it isn't going to look that good. And it's not going to sound mm. perfect, <laughs> you know. It will be made as perfect as it can be. But there needs to be that knowledge. And, and I think that's what's lacking a little bit mm. there. Like the Queen always thought rocks were painted white. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's true that, you know, everything gets, when you know you're coming, everything gets polished. And, yeah. And it, it skews the reality. Mm. Any other any other ways around this, Rolf? Yeah, well, if the screen screen manufacturers could make a completely new design of a screen that, that yeah. was perfect for all, you know, I'm wait, waiting for the magic. They, they've done a lot of improvements since uh, since we started. The first the first silver screens were horrible, mm-hmm. and then the the screen manufacturers they they have really uh, taken a, a big step for, for to 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 uh, improve and. Uh, Maybe there's a magic out there. There are, there are, I don't know, uh, other types of screens that claim that they have better solutions than that. It, uh, Can you have solutions whereby um, you have a different gain depending on the area of the screen? So you'd have a, a, oh, a wow. higher gain on the edges compared to the middle. <laughs> That sounds that's like a, a terrible that's a idea. One, yeah. Well, it, it depends. Expensive. It, yeah, it, it depends. It depends whether it's a terrible idea, whether it, whether how it's blended and how it well, works. It would have to be graded, wouldn't it? Is yeah, the exactly. only way you could possibly you can't do just it. go. Oh, this. Oh, this, side, this, this section here yeah. is going to. Because it would be, you know, it could be, you know, a two gain on the on the edges, and then it 
slowly merges to a maybe a one or a one four in the middle and then goes back to two on the edges to compensate for that light loss mm. um and i don't know if that's a crazy crazy thing no one's ever thought of or whether it's something that is just too hard to do because effectively you've got to You've got to become a real artist yeah. to yeah. paint these screens, yeah, um, and it can't be, you know, done in mass very quickly. Um, but could it be a, a special order? It would um, have to be very bespoke, wouldn't it? Well, it would be bespoke to each screen. Yeah, yeah. it would yeah. be. Yeah. I was. Uh, sounds very expensive. It sounds like a screening room would do that, <laughs> but maybe not. You but a screen wouldn't have to because well, it'd no. be small enough to have just a matte white. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Weird idea. We but, just, uh, just spit it. We should try it and see how it works. Yeah, I think we know a few people that might be able to help us out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, is it LEDs? Is that the answer? Do we just, you know, all put our money on the table and get the coppers together and buy a load of LED screens? Have you ever thought about that, Kevin? No. Never. <laughs> I'm a Luddite. Um, You're not? No, I'm not a Luddite. Not really. You're really not? No, no. Um... I think it's a long way off for independence, isn't it? Because the quality, the cost is so prohibitive mm. at this point. And I don't think everyone's convinced the technology works for us yet, do they? Particularly in terms of audio and, and um, you know, and again, you'd have to presumably master a DCP specifically for LED. So the whole, the, the chain isn't there yet, I don't think, is it? I mean, I think you can play a standard DCP on them. It's just a waste almost. Yeah, right. But 10, 15 years ahead, do you think that's going to be the normal? And only only special... Uh, no. You don't think it's going to be? I don't think it will. You, I mean, you, you don't think it goes in that direction? You think that the projection still will be the... I just think it's mm. not got the flexibility at the moment in order to go into many screens. And it's not got the... Aff- dare I say affordability everything's expensive now (coughs) but you know it's the affordability it's the flexibility it's the sound there's lots of things I'm not saying these will never be fixed I'm just saying that it's uh, today you know there's a lot of things when it comes to building a cinema and replacing equipment for new technology that you need to have convenient um, and say something relatively bold which Mm. is the movie industry on the whole is cheap as in, it's it doesn't like spending money when it doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hollywood do it all the time, which is why they make sets out of wood. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't build the Empire State Building if they can make it out of wood. Do you know what I mean? And and it works just as well for what you need it for. And that's the situation the cinema industry is in as well. Yeah, and it's the it's the economic uh, driver. What what? How much would putting LED screens in improve our business the film is still the film isn't it mm-hmm. it doesn't really mm-hmm. have any any impact on the audience I mean that's the big thing about the digital transition ultimately the audience didn't care did they well a lot of the audience thought we were already digital <laughs> yeah but they just didn't care as long as they see the film mm. so, so really the only the only driver is us not the mm. audience mm. Yeah. so what about the the, the, the light steering is, is that sort of for the future where you you you, you to, you you directing the light where it's needed in the picture, so you can have really really bright zones. And that's then, fine as long as you've got a area, on, only one area, any one moment that needs to be bright. If you need to be bright everywhere, mm. then 
Can you be but, bright? But, 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 but do you want to have put your sunglasses on then? Yeah, well, yeah, no, I mean, if no, you're full, full bright on, on an LED screen, you know, you, I think that's you can't fine. Watch it. I think, you know, light steering is fine as long as it's invisible. But as soon as you start seeing any sort of delay, because I know there were some TVs that do something similar, <coughs> um, and you can see it happening, and you start that's to horrible. see certain things no, going no, darker. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just thinking it's a, it's a dangerous area to get into. Because, it is because, because my television I turn I mean all the bells and whistles on my TV go immediately if I buy a new television all of the AI off, stuff off, immediately off, goes off 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 off, off, yeah, off, off. Yeah. contrast enhancer off off yeah. off, off everything yeah. off yeah. oh it's a decent picture finally yeah. but that increasing yeah. that contrast that you can do and, and I think it's a very fascinating uh, idea and, and, and it's still a way to go but I know that uh, there are manufacturers who's working on it and plan to to uh, launch the, the wow. system. But again, you come back to the DPs going, hang on a minute, that's not what I photographed. Why are you mucking about with my image? So you, you have know? to master, yeah, master yeah. the, the, the mm. DCP yeah. differently. Yeah, It can't be left to us no. to alter the the way the image looks. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And if, you, if you've got to master a specific DCP for this technology, and that's another version, which we could kicks out even more versions because you need to then create different language versions of that particular oh. type. Oh, yeah. And therefore, it's less likely to happen unless some, somebody throws a lot of money at it mm. to help. Which they're not going to do in the current situation, let's be honest. Then it becomes a bit of a chicken and egg, which is we'll produce more of it if there's more adoption yeah. and we won't adopt it till there's more content. And, you know, it becomes very difficult, which is yeah. one of the reasons why the cinema industry is actually really hard to change because it's it's got to, it's got to be as much as possible a one-size-fits-all solution. Mm. Yeah, of course. Global. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of went off from screens there. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, LED screens. Uh, you know, you look at LED screen. You walk into an auditorium. You look at it. You put a picture on it. You go, Yeah, bloody hell, that looks really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you've got to think, Okay, so how do I install it? And how do I maintain it? And what happens when this happens? And what happens when that happens? Which are all the things that we have to think about, but a mm. guest doesn't. Yeah. And we have to think about it so that a guest doesn't have to think about it. Um, okay, I've not seen, I don't think I've seen that big LED screen. Does it look like telly or does it look like, I mean, it just looks like a big telly. Looks like a big telly. Yeah. Where do you put the speakers? Well, that's um, the problem. Wherever you can. Okay. <laughs> above. Above. Right, yeah. okay. Generally above. And they've worked on some technology where there's some of the speakers are on the side of the wall okay. and it, and it's facing the screen like, yeah. and it rebounds off the screen. Like home entertainment. It's the same yeah. that, uh, yeah. actually it's the same that Odeon does in Oslo and in their big they have the screens above and uh, yeah. regular because they, they do, it's a Finnish guy who, who yeah. designed that system. I'd quite like to see that. I'd quite like to experience well, that. Their idea is that if if you put the speaker behind a perforated plastic sheet, it's gonna change the the, the sound. It sounds more clear if yeah. you can have it without anything. It does. Yeah. It so 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 it sounds very sound. good and, and, and for for a lot of uh, I, I can sit there and, and most of the time I forget that that they're above. But in some occasions you know, oh it's, uh, it's there, there, you know. Yeah. And depending on where you sit of course too. Mm. Well, that's the that's the key. Is is it does depend on where you sat, and yeah. it shouldn't depend on where you sat. No, exactly. So, um, but um, it's it's a it's a debate that's worth having at some point, um, because, you know, it, you absolutely will get better sound if you've not got a screen in front of the speaker. That's just physics. That's just it's mm-hmm. going to happen. But the question is, does it get 
so bad that you shouldn't put a screen in front of a speaker because I've watched every film I've ever seen in my life in a cinema with a speaker behind the screen yeah. and I've I've never once thought God I wish that screen weren't there yeah. Yeah. and it also but if you begs, saw sorry, sorry it also begs the question of audio post-production should that be considered should there be a different audio mix for yeah. a mm. cinema that has uh, speakers in front rather than behind because if if not then that's saying that there isn't really an issue mm. do you know what I mean yeah because like, your levels are going to be different aren't they yeah if you're mixing for speakers behind the screen and then you put them in front of the screen you're gonna have to decrease the gain aren't you on your on your output well you're no, gonna you're gonna eq it yeah. based on where the speakers are so that's are. the calibration of the system yeah. so that won't be different mm-hmm. yeah so it would still be picked up by oh, the I microphones see, yeah. the same yeah. way um so yeah, we did it for years actually in upfield we had non-perforated screens and speakers underneath the, the underneath as well that's not the Prefer them over, but uh, yeah, no way. It was it, they were under, and it sounded fine actually. I think it also depends on the screen size and geometry. Yeah, we're talking small here. Yeah, very small. Hmm. So, um, cool. What have we got else, or have we got anything else? I think we've covered it all. I think we've covered it all. We've been here ages. We've been in the metaverse. We yeah. through the <laughs> webverse. We've seen, through the web three. We've through. seen at least four or five different Kevin's. Yeah. Yeah. All riding inflatable uniforms. Inflatable horns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got back to reality. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, oh, reality. We're back in the real world now. Back to reality, yeah. talking about geometry of screens, yeah. you know, because that's what everyone tunes in for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's keep the 14-foot Lambert then until we find a better solution. Yeah, let's keep okay. it. We don't want to annoy everybody. So can we just go up another three-foot Lamberts, please, across the world? <laughs> that's I, think, I think a lot of people are already struggling to get light level, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. to ask them to get to 17 is a <laughs> Okay, well, we've, got, we've missed a lot of this conference, so let's go and do... Let's go oh, and do the conference. Do let's the do conference it. and yeah. see some people speak about stuff. About 3D. Um, yeah, about 3D and, mm. and stuff. Boom. And Ramstein. And what? Ramstein. 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 Dolby's going to do that. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Well, thank you, everybody, for <laughs> for tuning in again. Um, we'll be back soon, hopefully, um, and enjoy everything. This is a podcast produced by the CTC, and please subscribe. Please use all of our sponsors. Please go to the cinema in Upfield. And yeah, let's the electric go there. cinema in Birmingham. Birmingham, yeah. As well as all cinemas in the land, frankly. Yeah. So, thanks very much, guys. See you soon. And thank God, I'm me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>